0: Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a
1: more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello,
0: everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new week. And what a week this will be, an historic week, no doubt, with the election tomorrow. Glad you've joined us, let us in letting us be part of your day. Always appreciate that. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Now that we have turned the calendar page to November, still some harvesting left out there. We'll get the the. Ref- harvest weather report, and also look into winter with Bryce today. We're going to talk markets, primarily livestock markets, and even more primarily we're going to look uh, at the cattle market today with American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. And we are going to also talk today with Caitlin Glover, executive director of the Public Lands Council, about the decision to delist the gray wolf throughout the lower 48 states. All that coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with what's obviously the big news, the election this week. Joining us now is Sarah Wyant, editor and president of Agripulse Communications. Sarah, I was thinking about this. So many elections in the last several election cycles Uh, The discussion has been about low voter turnout, why aren't people going out to vote, and, uh, you know, that whole debate. That's not an issue this time. They are voting in record numbers already. We're not even to Election Day.
2: Well, absolutely. And good morning, Mike. Always a pleasure to be with you. I think there's two things going on. Of course, this is a very consequential election. We say that so many times every four years, but... There's so much at stake, uh, not only on the presidential level, but on the uh, control of the Senate and also uh, looking at the, just the future of the country of what kind of a vision that we're going to have with starkly different contrasts presented during these campaigns. So I think there's no um, surprise, really, that we've had almost 94 million people vote already. Uh, many of those because they did not want to go to polling places and they wanted to get out um, and, and do it uh, vote safely uh, during this time of COVID-19, but also just because there is so much enthusiasm on both sides of the political aisle that uh, people are eager to get out and vote early.
0: Yeah, I didn't think I'd ever say this, but I'm I'm old school. I'm going to vote on Election Day. That that almost seems uh, old-fashioned now with the way this race has gone.
2: It really does, but I think uh, there's some of us that just really want to see what's going on at the polling places that day. And mm-hmm. When you live in rural America, you don't expect the lines to be too terribly long that it's that much of a wait. So it'll be interesting to see if there are some periods where you have to wait a little bit longer than others, but I think many people out in farm country do vote on Election Day.
0: Well, let's talk about rural America. had a huge impact on the election four years ago. What do you think rural America's impact will be on this election?
2: I think it'll be the same. It'll be very substantial because there are so many of these key counties that can really rack up the vote for respective candidates. And You've already seen all the pollsters out there looking at, you know, different parts of of different states, and, and oftentimes that does uh, harken back to the rural vote turnout. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many actual come in in total. We had 139 million vote in 2016, uh, but, you know, even with the popular vote, it's going to come down to the electoral vote. Who can put together the, that 270 needed to put the president over the top and that'll start in a state like florida we're going to be watching that very closely election night Uh, the polls close there at 8 p.m and uh, then you know going into those battleground states how do they each candidate perform in pennsylvania and michigan uh, iowa uh, wisconsin minnesota ohio and uh, watching those throughout the night but i have to say mike our team is planning on staying up all night tuesday night <laughs> but i don't think we're going to know the answers wednesday morning i just think that there's still going to be quite a bit of uncertainty uh hopefully it won't drag out for two weeks but um i think there's still be some very big unknowns as of uh, early in the morning
0: yeah and as i mentioned I, I think the good thing is so many people are voting that's good this time On the negative side, the flip side that it's very disturbing is you have cities boarding up, stores boarding up windows. I mean, preparations for, you know, for so much violence that could take place after the election, regardless of how it goes. That's that's a negative. That's a downside. Hate to see that.
2: Well, I think everyone does. And I don't know why there's really uh, I mean, obviously, there's going to be people who are upset no matter what happens. Right. Um, but for the most part, I think that in, in so many parts of the country, uh, there's gonna also be a realization that, um, you know, the people have spoken. This is part of our democracy. And hopefully, uh, those folks will realize that, uh, having, uh, more looting isn't going to solve anything going forward. It's not the way that we want to resolve our differences in this country. Uh, but we'll see what happens you know is it's a blue wave or uh, whether there are so many of these unheard voters that really do come out and vote on election day there's a lot of speculation both ways as to how this could turn out
0: you talked about the emotion of this election which is helping drive these uh... early voting numbers uh... have you ever i just can't recall do you recall an election where the emotions were so high where i mean uh, you. If you put a, if someone put a sign out in their yard, there's a chance it could be torn down or vandalized. I mean, do you, I mean, the the emotions are so high for this. Do you recall another election like this?
2: I don't in um, my voting history, but you know, there have been so many times in, in the past where people have been very, very upset. I hate the fact that people are going down that path of stealing election signs or defacing election signs. Uh, flags that are, are being waved on pickup trucks that we see a lot out here in our own country. Um, you know, that's part of the uh, right to voice your opinion uh, that we have really uh, been so proud of in our country, the, the fact that we can have those respective differences in opinion. And, and that's the way that I would hope more people would continue to look at it as part of our democracy. And, it, Mike, you've been in... in uh, communist countries as i have you know that those freedoms aren't available and uh the fact that we do have them in this country is something we need to not only protect but uh you carry very close to our heart
0: yeah well said thank you sarah and uh wow what an interesting week is going to be and we'll be watching uh the coverage your team uh, provides us at agripulse communications thank you very much
2: thank you we'll be doing a little recap wednesday noon with some experts, but uh, as I said, we're just going to be looking at what we know by that time. Uh, People can join us on our Facebook live page if they'd like to watch.
0: Yeah, encourage people to do that. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Yeah, that's the next thing. How long will it be before we actually know the final results of the election? What a week it's going to be, or maybe beyond. All right, up next, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us. We'll talk weather now that we're into November. Still some harvesting to do for some. We'll get uh, the latest forecast. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. <music> Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: Neil Armstrong waited 6 hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council.
4: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Joel Haggard, Senior Vice President for the Asia-Pacific Region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's joining us from Hong Kong. Tell us about... Some of your efforts there to promote U.S. meat products and how it's going.
5: This has
6: been an extraordinary year, not only because of COVID, but probably more so because of the African swine fever outbreak that's really cut back China's pork supplies. We've been shipping a lot of pork to China, record amounts. This year, we're seeing the beef really starting to pop
7: right now. We've been promoting um, in all types of formats, in-store promotions at Stan's
6: Club, barbecues for traders, a lot of uh, seminars and other educational events for chefs and distributors. Pretty much the full gamut of activities. The audience has been very receptive because we're in a particularly favorable position right now on both beef and pork, but on the beef side because of the uh, Australia's uh, tight supply situation. So it's been pretty
4: encouraging. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot or 40,000 pound bus. It's our roads, roads.
5: it's our Our safety.
4: Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
5: Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply health care coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical,
1: All right,
0: let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And, Bryce, uh, 2020 has been an unusual year, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised. We turn the page to November, and the weather starts warming up.
6: It is going to be very warm, Mike. Uh, Definitely during this week, there's uh, a a large upper air ridge that runs all the way from central uh, Alberta, Canada, all the way south to northern Mexico that is just kind of uh, sprawling out over the plains and the western Midwest uh, during this early week, and that feature is just going to keep working eastward uh, during the next five days. Uh, So it's going to bring some uh, temperatures that are going to be probably at record warm levels over uh, especially the northern plains and uh, the northern Midwest. I mean, we're talking about highs that are going to be in the 70s in the Dakotas and in uh, close to 70 in Minnesota during this week. Uh, That's going to be a a really nice uh, situation for finishing field work or finishing harvest, getting field work done, Uh, just about anything you want to do outside. It's going to be an ideal week to do that.
0: Yeah, a lot of those areas going from snow to 70s in a short period of time. What about that eastern Corn Belt where they still have quite a bit of harvesting to do in some places?
6: Well, uh, the uh, scenario right now this early week is not all that great because uh, it's pretty cold. Uh, there have been freeze warnings in the Ohio Valley and the Tennessee Valley uh, during uh, the morning hours today. And uh, there's also going to be maybe just a little bit of light snow in uh, the far eastern Midwest, I would say from uh, eastern Ohio northeast then into the interior uh, northeast into the central New York state. But otherwise, it is going to be drier, and this warmer pattern is going to make its way eastward as well. And So I do think that we're going to see some improvement and uh, some better conditions for uh, taking care of harvest as well.
0: And should be some good weather for those, as I mentioned earlier, I'm old school. I'm going to actually vote on Election Day. Uh, Should be good weather in many parts of the country for people going to vote tomorrow.
6: Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a a real problem at all. Uh, The only areas that may have uh, perhaps uh, a little bit of a uh, kind of a mixed precipitation situation to contend with would be in the northeast, in New England specifically. Uh, That's where the cold air is going to be the the, uh, latest uh, or the slowest uh, to move out. But, you know, this dry and uh, mild pattern is going to be great for for you know, everybody else in terms of uh, their election day activity.
0: We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, what is the La Nina report this week?
6: Uh, the, uh, the scenario in the Pacific is still one of uh, La Nina development and uh, presence, I should say. Uh, the 90-day SOI uh, pressure feature that the Australians keep track of uh, very faithfully and have for a long time. Is uh, at a plus 8.3 here on Monday, and that is a, a La Niña level uh, for that uh, index, the Southern Oscillation Index value. Uh, the the uh, 90-day SOI is is uh, very important because that is you know a longer term uh, measure of how the the general atmospheric pattern is acting, and so it kind of uh, it's like looking at a at a long-term market chart uh, because a lot of the day-to-day back and forth has kind of been filtered out. So that's a good uh, number to keep track of. Uh, La Nina is uh, certainly in effect. Uh, it was maybe interrupted uh, somewhat in the southern plains last week by the uh, very strong uh, storm system that moved in with the rain and snow in that part of the country. But the, uh, the track is still on on uh, order for the winter uh, La Nina impact uh, to be quite prominent over the interior U.S., and so that uh, situation is still in effect, and we're, I think, starting to see more of its, uh, uh, more of its uh, effect with uh, what's going on in the South America forecast this week, with Brazil uh, having a fairly light rainfall forecast for the southern half of Brazil, and Argentina to stay on the light side, both of those are uh, very closely tied to how La Nina uh, develops and uh, we're starting to see that also
0: well we watched the drought monitor and we know that a lot of the uh, the Midwest will go into winter on the dry side
6: oh yeah there's there's no question about that and and uh, you know when we get into the winter time frame it's uh it's hard to really get too much of an improvement in terms of the uh, soil moisture content, just because winter usually is a drier trend, and so that's uh, going to be watched very closely. Now, uh, with La Nina, there there is a uh, higher precipitation uh, component with that in the eastern Midwest, notably in the Ohio Valley, maybe in the Great Lakes, but that doesn't really cure things a whole lot in the western Corn Belt or the western Midwest, because we've got uh, quite a bit of uh, Iowa, uh, westward into Nebraska, and then into the, uh, the Dakotas, where things have turned quite dry lately. And uh, that's not a uh, an area that La Nina usually favors with above normal wintertime precip.
0: So, as we look at the uh, the situation as far as precipitation is concerned, and we kind of wonder how that's going to play out going going into the winter. Uh, When we look at overall the temperature to go along with that, very warm this week. Does that continue through much of November uh, above normal or or when do you see that changing? Well uh,
6: we're going to see a a, a notable uh, cooling down in the uh, 7 to 14 day time period uh, starting probably Sunday of next week. Uh, There's going to be more of a colder pattern that moves across the central U.S. And, in fact, we'll have uh, the low temperatures in the northern plains, northern Midwest, uh, get back down into the range of the upper teens to the low 20s uh, with highs back into the mid-30s or so during next week. Uh, so there's uh, not going to be necessarily a just real mild trend uh, that uh, just decides to park uh, for the entire month of November here over the central part of the country.
0: All right, so uh, get done as much as you can this week, then right outside because oh, yeah. uh, it, it may be changing.
6: Yeah, it it is going to be uh, more variable. Uh, but again, uh, you know, this week with its uh, with its uh, overall parameters, my goodness, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of harvest that wraps up.
0: What about in the plains and and winter wheat? What about conditions for them?
6: Well, there was uh, definitely some benefit from uh, that big storm last week. Uh, there's no doubt about that because in uh, central Oklahoma, uh, north into south central Kansas, uh, there was uh, rain and snow precip uh, that that totaled uh, anywhere from uh, what about uh, one to uh, three inches or greater, and so that was uh, definitely a useful event uh, that happened. Uh, now the uh, the concern is that that part of the country had been very dry already and uh, the likelihood is that this is still going to be a a region that has uh, you know quite a bit of uh, dryness concern uh, during uh, the upcoming winter season and uh, so that's going to be uh, an ongoing feature as we uh, look ahead through the balance of this uh, fall season and then go into the winter and then on into the early spring.
0: Any uh, relief for those in Colorado dealing with fires?
6: Right now, uh, there's not very much. Uh, The only feature, uh, you know, we did have some easing last week because of the snow that hit in the Rockies. Uh, So that maybe uh, brought a little bit of an easing to the fire scenario there. Uh, This week is going to be uh, back to a dry situation. So uh, I don't think that the concern is completely over with by any means. Farther west, uh, there still are many air quality issues, air quality advisories in central California, and the comments that are uh, coming out of the uh, forecast offices in that uh, part of the country uh, specify that the air quality bulletins are not going to end, they're not going to be taken out until the fires come under control. Uh, So that California fire situation is still... Uh, extremely uh, dangerous and uh, is obviously just uh, continuing to cause all sorts of calamity.
0: All right, Bryce, thanks as always for the update. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. You too. Take care, DTN meteorologist bryce anderson all right up next on this election eve we're going to take a look at the uh, livestock market, some outlook and focus especially on uh, the cattle market we haven't uh, done that for a while we're going to talk with american farm bureau federation economist michael Neview. that's coming up next what does he see ahead for this cattle market stay with us you're listening to aoa Adams on agriculture Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Join us every Tuesday for a Round the Table brought to you by CHS as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise, We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
5: To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve. By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council.
1: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We've got a mix in the grain and oil seed sector. Wheat futures trending into positive territory in the easier tone in corn and soybeans at the Board of Trade. China's corn prices have come off slightly in early trading but remain near recent highs. Darren Fredericks, senior Asia commodity analyst at StoneX, saying prices have rallied as farmers remain reluctant buyers in part because some are facing higher than expected harvest costs due to wind damage from recent typhoon activity. Also, according to the Market Talk, OCBC remains bullish on global soybean prices. It expects U.S. soybean exports to be higher than what USDA is expecting. In soybean futures, we are lower on this Monday. January down four cents at ten fifty two and a quarter. December corn down three and a half at three hundred ninety five. Chicago wheat, December contract up seven and a half at six hundred six. Kansas City Wheat December up ten and three quarters at five fifty two. Minneapolis Spring Wheat December up four at five fifty-six and a quarter. For livestock at the Merck in Live Cattle Futures, December down sixty-two at one hundred seven sixty seven. February down 77, 109.62. Feeder cattle, January contract, down 60 at 133.52. Lean hog futures, February, down 62, 64.92. The back months from there, 25 to 80 cents lower. On Wall Street, the Dow up 524. Crude oil up 20 cents in New York. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson
2: She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out.
8: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, let's take a look at uh, the ag economy in general, uh, livestock markets in particular, and really even closer in on the uh, the cattle market. We'll start uh, things off here with Michael Nevue, Farm Bureau Economist. Michael, good to talk with you again. First of all, just your thoughts on this election, Eve, um, how you think the, the ag markets may react to the election results.
7: Well, uh, Well, first off, thanks very much for having me on. When it comes to trying to predict any kind of reaction to this election, I just think you can keep in mind we're going to have some volatility, regardless of how things shake out. Uh, I think folks still need to probably prepare themselves for not really fully knowing any kind of outcome for uh, several days, maybe even several weeks going after this. So we could be facing, at least in in terms of markets, a a fairly volatile uh, few weeks.
0: Yep. I think we're all kind of bracing for that. All right. Let's 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 take a look at how how you see, especially on the livestock sector, how we've come through. Here we are now into November, uh, a year that's been obviously dominated by, by COVID-19. Very rough uh, at the beginning of it. Where are we now as we head into winter from a from a supply chain standpoint and the impact on livestock markets?
7: yeah I think there's a lot to unpack in that one, so first, you know there's been a number number of things uh, impacting cattle markets in general the last couple of weeks uh a lot of weight on the markets, some pressures developing uh, you know last week we got to process through the latest cattle and feed report we've seen some pretty extreme volatility in grain markets uh, that pretty pretty remarkable rally in corn prices was you know adding pressure to cattle prices, but we saw that corn price drop last week uh cash cattle trade been a bit slow to develop the last few weeks uh prices have been trending lower but a lot of that goes back to you know what you mentioned in your question was uh you know supply chain further down so a lot of that can go to some weakness we've seen uh the last few months in box beef sales uh you know looking on the beef side uh beef production overall uh this back half of the year is going to end up being above a year ago uh it's 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 pretty remarkable uh, when you think back to you know I think you had me on sometime around April and May and we were talking about we had mm. no idea when recovery was going to be during all this. Uh, the fact that where we where we stand now and and how how strong that recovery was and and, and getting the slaughter facilities back online, uh, that's just remarkable. Uh, slaughter slaughter numbers have been hovering around you know 95% capacity uh, depending on the week, sometimes above, sometimes a little bit below year ago levels. Ah, uh, but with that backlog of animals we saw through the summer, and also because you know animals have done pretty darn well, uh, we've been seeing a lot of heavier animals coming to coming to slaughter, and that's been driving beef production up. So we got plenty of supplies. Um, uh, so on the but on the plus side, we've had pretty strong demand as well. Uh, you know, we also can't forget that beef isn't the only animal protein out there. We got lots of pork, lots of poultry, and there's going to be plenty of competition in the meat case.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Uh, that meat case is a very competitive space, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm.
7: And that also ties back to, you said, the underlying theme for 2020 is uh, COVID-19, coronavirus. Uh, the economic implications that come along with that, uh, that's where a lot of the uncertainty goes. So, you know, first off, there's that competition in the, in the meat case, and when you see a downturn in the economy and you see a lot of grocery shoppers out there you know, unemployment's up, they have less dollars in their pocket and they're looking to stretch those dollars further. Beef does not tend to do as well in those situations. So we have, you know, the last recession, the last several recessions, uh, we've had pretty strong evidence that that beef demand tends to suffer. It's technically a luxury product, uh, economically speaking. And, you know, it costs more than these other, other uh, animal proteins. And so when they're trying to stretch their dollars, they do, they do tend to, you know, shift some of that purchasing elsewhere. But, on the, on the flip side of that, uh, we, we consume a lot of ground beef, and that's one of those also staple economical pro, uh, products for a lot of consumers out there.
0: We're talking with American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. Let's look at that situation, Michael. I've talked a lot about it on the pork side. I want to get your thoughts on the beef side, where especially early on in the pandemic, the shift was away, away from uh, eating out in restaurants and food service and more to the grocery stores, to the retail level, then that has kind of worked its way back and forth uh, during the course of this. Where are we now? Where do you see moving into the winter and its impact on on beef? Uh,
7: Well, in general, I think it was surprising. Overall, 2020 beef demand has actually stayed pretty strong. I, I think that was a little bit surprising. Um, you know, you mentioned early on in the pandemic when things were shutting down. Uh, we originally saw a lot of those impacts uh, in the cutout. It just got turned upside down. Uh, your, your end meats, were, were the, the value of them was contributing a lot more to the cutout, and that's because a lot of that was being processed down into ground beef and to, and to roast more of those economical cuts that, pre- that consumers were going at the retail level and, you know, cleaning out the cases and stacking up their freezers. Where you saw it suffer was the restaurants. You mentioned the restaurants were shutting down. Uh, with that think middle meats think typically one of the most expensive uh sub-primals out there, tenderloin, um, that actually was facing uh, pretty weak prices and, and that makes logical sense. You think back to the summer, even though summer uh consumers are out there grilling, uh they're not gonna your average consumer isn't gonna be out there grilling filet mignon. Uh that that goes to steakhouses and those were all shut down trying to adapt uh, to to the lockdowns and, and you know you also mentioned that it's been a little bit of back and forth uh, we've seen foot traffic uh, both from in terms of like fast food drive-through food service as well as uh, sit-down restaurants uh, increasing uh, throughout the summer but that's going to be a big challenge going into the winter especially for those those restaurants where you know it's a sit-down it's they're they're trying to adapt to the takeout model and you have a lot of consumers who just you know, even though it might be open, a lot of folks aren't going to feel comfortable going inside, and it's going to be cold. They don't have outdoor seating anymore. I think that's a big question mark moving in, moving into the holidays. Uh, yeah. uh, you also have changes in what we typically see in demand. Uh, holidays, we tend to see more demand for things like prime rib. Uh, it's 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 something to be concerned about. I, I think I think box beef values have have been showing a lot of weakness these last few weeks.
0: It will be interesting. It feels like we've been in this pandemic forever, but actually this will be the first holiday season we've gone through under this pandemic. Uh, You know, so as you said, buying habits and eating habits are a little different sometimes during the holidays. It remains to be seen how that's going to play out and especially how it impacts beef.
7: No, absolutely. I I 100% agree with that. Um, And again, I think to throw in more of the political uncertainty here, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the stimulus. Uh, what, if when that something like that could go through and that's really gonna, gonna, uh, impact, um, you know, what I was talking about in terms of the overall economic conditions. Uh, if we really do start to see more of a, you know, prolonged recession, um, going into the winter, I think that could really uh, start to weigh on, on the beef side of things. Um, as well as, you know, We've, been, we've had strong beef demand. Some of that goes back to export markets, but also uh, part of that is, you know, consumers have had that kind of, sup- that stimulus support and been able to keep uh, demand strong.
0: Okay. So let's, uh, bottom line here for producers, let's get your price outlook. We know that, uh, I mean, we talk a lot about the the rally in the grain market, that the good side, if you're a grain producer, not so good when you're buying feed, obviously. So uh, given that scenario, uh, what, what is your price outlook for the cattle market?
7: Uh, you know, there's been a lot of factors these last few weeks. I mean, for me, bottom line, I, I think I have a hard time getting excited. I might be a little bit pessimistic, but, you know, you, you mentioned the, the grain rally. Uh, that's definitely uh, weighing on, on, uh, on cattle prices in terms of feed market impacts. Uh, you, I mentioned that box beat weakness. Uh, we didn't really get a chance to go into. There's been a lot of challenges uh, with dry conditions in a lot of areas on the country in that cattle and feed report that came out was near-term bearish. Um, You know, we have seen some pressure on live cattle futures. Uh, We saw them drop the last few weeks from 112 or so earlier in the month down to 104. We have seen a little bit of strength. Uh, Last week, we saw them pull up to, let's say, 107. Uh, But so far today, uh, cattle futures across the board are trending lower, uh, both in live cattle and feeder cattle. So uh, you also look at the overall futures market we had that commitment of traders report come out uh managed money added i think it was twelve and a half thousand or so contracts to their short position and they uh reduced their long position pretty substantially as well so i, I think overall looking at pretty bearish short term
0: i was say sounds like some headwinds for the cattle market here <laughs> as we go into winter
7: uh yes sir
0: yeah um so overall um I mean, the good news is demand has stayed pretty strong. It's just we don't know what's going into this uh, uncertainty in this winter, if that can continue.
7: Yeah, and I, I, I apologize if I keep giving the, the economist answer trying to fall around. You know, there's so much uncertainty, but it really is hard to give, you know, uh, strong uh, certain numbers here. When, whenever, it really does depend on how the economy is going to react to the coronavirus uh, moving into the winter. Um, you know, again, I think... Uh, we're still looking at a lot of downward pressure. Uh, we've seen some drought conditions being a problem. Um, we have a lot of heavier animals coming to market. We got a lot, we got a lot of cattle that we're going to have to work through over the next uh, several months, uh, finishing out the year and through the winter. Uh, we've had three months in a row of really large placements, uh, going into the feedlots. So I, again, I think it's like you said, we're still going to be looking at some headwinds moving forward.
0: Well, I think you can be forgiven uh, for giving uh, those answers because there's just so much uncertainty. And as 2020 has taught us, you can't really look too far down the line because things change so quickly. And that's kind of the way this year has been. Michael, appreciate your perspective and your outlook. Thank you very much.
7: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. Up next, we're going to talk with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Big decision, delisting of the gray wolf in the lower 48 states. We'll talk about the significance of that decision. Coming up next, stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get
8: matching tattoos on our first date?
5: Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together.
8: Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration
4: and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is our good friend Jim Bear, President and CEO of U.S. Apple. I know that the U.S. Apple Association is making a big donation for this effort to help feed school kids. Tell us about it, please. We've
7: had this program for
4: several years, our Apples for Education program, and it's not about just giving away apples.
7: It's actually intended to provide funds for creative programs that get proposed and to teach kids about healthy eating.
5: And when school
7: started shutting down last spring, I mean, even though a lot of apples go into the school lunch program, but, um, this is really not about just giving away apples. It just seemed natural our segment of agriculture ought to try and help out. And so we're providing this grant of $20,000 to the School Nutrition Association to
6: purchase food and packaging for grab and go meals, for mobile carts and kiosks at
4: curbside distribution and uh, personal protective equipment to keep the workers safe For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
8: In your everyday business operations, there are endless things you can't control. Fuel prices don't have to be one of them. With the Average Price Contracting Program available at FS, we can provide you with a way to reduce the uncertainty of fluctuating fuel prices. It's a smart and convenient way for you to know what your fuel costs are going to be so that you can enjoy a little peace of mind. The Average Price Contracting Program at FS is just one more way that we can help take your business further. Contact your FS energy specialist today. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information.
2: These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 Food Bank Strong.
0: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, last week, the Fish and Wildlife Service said that the gray wolf in the lower 48 states has recovered to the point where it is no longer needing to be listed as an endangered species. Some are hailing this decision, some are critical of it. Let's talk it over with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Caitlin, thank you for joining us. Uh, Tell us about this decision, your thoughts on it, and the significance of it.
3: Thanks so much for having me this morning, Mike. Uh, This is a a great announcement for producers across the country. Uh, We certainly are in that first category of groups hailing this decision. Not only is this decision and this announcement long overdue, with wolf populations nationwide having been recovered for quite some years, uh, but, it's, but it's also a statement and, and a reinvestment um, of some of that, that knowledge that livestock producers and private landowners are key to these Endangered Species Act recoveries. Producers nationwide have uh, been, been invested in gray wolf recovery for a long time. Uh, and so this, this news, this news coming out of uh, the department and the announcement last week in Minnesota is, is certainly welcome.
0: Conservation groups say the numbers don't add up to a recovery for the entire lower 48 uh, numbers from the Fish and Wildlife Service and its state's partners showing an estimated 4,400 wolves in the Western Great Lakes, but only 108 wolves in Washington State, 158 in Oregon, and only 15 in California. What What's your reaction to that?
3: So one of the important things to remember is the standard of the Endangered Species Act itself. So when you take a look, uh, at the factors for consideration, not only for a listing of an endangered species, but also that the standard, uh, of recovery for delisting, uh, in plain terms, the ESA doesn't necessarily require that the populations are, are, uh, hit that high mark across the entire historic range. But what the ESA does require is the meeting of those recovery targets to say that there is a robust enough population that they can be considered recovered. And those are two very different standards. And so groups who are Concern um, about the numbers across the entire historic range are really missing the mark uh, and missing the requirements of the Endangered Species Act. What you're seeing is a scientific determination, not only of this administration, but previous administrations as well, that the wolf populations that exist exist in habitat that's good for them. They exist in habitat that is going to allow their, their populations, allow those packs to persist. Um, and and they're making uh, this determination based on that available science certainly uh, there are groups who are going to continue to uh, challenge decisions like this uh, but the standard in the ESA itself is clear and if the population meets those recovery goals the trigger in the ESA is also clear if those uh, recovery objectives are met the species doesn't need protection anymore and that's where we are with the gray wolf population here in the US
0: Yeah, there could be legal challenges to this, so we'll watch for that. But explain, Caitlin, for those that uh, aren't familiar with this situation, why this is such an important issue uh, because of the issues with the gray wolf protected on the Endangered Species Act Act. That has uh, created situations where we've seen attacks on livestock and pets and even children. uh, Maybe they're playing in their yard or waiting for the school bus, wherever it might be. We've had these situations arise. And so tell us why this is such a significant decision.
3: Well, Mike, you're exactly right, and and there are two categories of of meaningful uh, outcomes that I usually place, and the first uh, is is the the protections for the gray wolf, uh, especially in in the robust population numbers that you've seen over the last number of years, have made livestock production more difficult. So that's the first bucket. What makes the operations more difficult? Certainly, depredation makes uh, the livestock operations and the profitability more difficult, and the restrictions that are placed based on, on habitat uh, and, and areas where those livestock and wildlife interact with wolves, uh, increase the difficulty in in those uh, production scenarios. That second bucket of challenges is exactly what you're talking about, the, the level of danger, the danger for producers, for their livestock guardian dogs or, or their pets, uh, their children, uh, and, and even for for other non-livestock users, uh, for hunters, for outfitters, and guides. I mean, this really is um, a a question of of density, and these robust populations, when they are are so dense and they are so robust, uh, they stay in their habitat, but then they also have that habitat creep. These are animals that travel a a long way uh, in a single year. And so we've seen uh, significant depredation on livestock. We've seen impacts from, from single animals, single predators, Across a range, and so what this delisting actually means is that uh, it is not necessarily that those those difficulties and those uh, dangerous events are going to stop, but it's going to mean that that livestock producers, that other stakeholders, and states themselves are going to be able to use the tools at their disposal in a more coordinated way uh, to to address problem animals and to decrease that those incidents of uh, predator and human interaction. Uh, I, I can't underscore enough. I mean, farmers and ranchers, these private landowners, are the ones who have been bearing the cost for these highly robust, uh, very prolific uh, packs across the, the U.S. Uh, and so this delisting, knowing that they are going to have tools at their disposal uh, when challenging or dangerous events occur... It's, it, it, was a, it, it really it warms the heart uh, uh, in these early days of, of winter here.
0: So, management of the gray wolves will now revert back to the states, right, once this is final?
3: That, that's correct. So the rule is scheduled to, to be public in, published in the Federal Register this week. It will take effect 60 days after that date of publication. And so uh, what we're seeing is an early January uh, enforcement effective date. And so when you remove protections for an endangered species, management does go back to the states, really where wildlife okay. management belongs all along.
0: All right. Thank you for the update, Caitlin. Good to talk with you. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Mike.
0: Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.